Good morning. Everybody doing good? Good morning, Mobile and Foley. Malbus, let's give Mobile and Foley a big shout out. Come on. Yeah. If Malbus, if you could actually see those people, they're almost better looking than you. I've seen them, I know. Hey, thanks so much for being with us this weekend. And I want to say thanks to everyone who serves in all the capacities. So much ministry that takes place here. Hundreds of people serving. Thank you so much. Thank you, those who give, those who tithe, those who are part of Heart for the Kingdom, and even down to the bicycles. Thank you so much for all that you do. And uh, it really is. It's just, I have to say this to you. It's, it's an honor to, to pastor you. It's an honor to serve you, and, and I take it serious, and I'm really excited about what's, uh, what's taking place next year in our church. Uh, in January, the weekend of the 24th, 25th, we'll be going into our new facility at Malbus, and yeah, that's a big thing. That's where you clap, because that's a really big thing. Yeah. Uh, we have been faithful with the 500-seat auditorium for... Uh, almost 12 years, and God is allowing us to move into about a 1,400-seat auditorium, so we're excited about that. And, and you know, um, this, this, this is going to excite you more, I'm sure, most of you, but January the 4th, we start a Daniel fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that went over well. Uh, it starts the 4th, so it'll end the weekend we come into the new building. Then I didn't plan it that way, it just the 4th and 21, so... That worked out pretty good, right? So we'll have a big celebration. Uh, okay, those of you who don't fast, you just come back in this room. We'll, <laughs> okay, we, we won't let you go in the new room. Anyway, if you have your Bibles, your device, you can turn to Mark 4 and John 4. Made it simple this weekend, Mark 4, John 4. I began a series last week entitled Risk. If you missed it, you need to watch it. I took a risk on doing this series. Uh, here's what I shared with you. This is where I left you last weekend. The greatest risk takers understand that reconcile people, reconcile people, redeem people, redeem people, rescue people, rescue people. And these great risk takers are instinctively curious. Every person they meet, no matter where they are, they know they matter to God. They want to know more about their story, what makes them tick and understand them. And they also want to hack into their stories uh, because what they're trying to find is in their life is their shame and brokenness or is their faith and grace and what would their life be like if it was full of the grace of God. And finally, they're kingdom ambassadors and it doesn't matter the context they're in, whether it's in a corporate boardroom, an airplane, a school, doesn't matter. They represent the kingdom of God by how they live, how they act and what they say. And those are the greatest risk takers. And we have a lot of those in our church. I had a lot of questions about the first message in the series, and, and one of the questions is this, Pastor, is this really that big a deal? Is it really that big a deal? Well, yes, it is, because we want our church to be a risk-taking group of people. We, we want to take a risk, and sometimes we have to be reminded and encouraged to do so. But here's the reason it's such a big deal for our church. In 1950, there were 2.5 billion people on the earth. And by the way, that was before I was born, so I wasn't part of that. Now, some of you were already here, some of you older people, but uh, I wasn't here yet. <laughs> it didn't go over well at all. Uh, so in 1950, there were 2.5 billion people. 64 years later, 2014, the world population is 7.2 billion. 
Now, there are organizations that go all over the world and they take census. And one organization takes a census of how many people are followers of Christ. The latest numbers that we have is that 2.2 billion people in the world are followers of Christ. Now, you may think, wow, that's phenomenal. And it is. But if you take 2.2 from 5.2, I'm sorry, 7.2, you end up with 5 billion people who do not know God. Now, when you hear that number, 5 billion, you think, oh, wow, that's a big number. Well, let me help you put that into context, okay? Has anyone here heard of or been to Jordan-Hare Stadium in Auburn? Don't be ashamed. (laughs) It will seat at its capacity 87,451. How many of you have heard of or been to Bryant-Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa? It will seat 101,821. Now, both of those venues fill to capacity every night. How many years would it take to fulfill or meet 5 billion people? You ready for this? 72 years and six months. That's what 5 billion people looks like. That's what they look like. And Jesus said in the Gospels, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The risk takers are few. So what I want to do in our time together this weekend is I want to look at the ultimate risk taker. Of course, that's Jesus. And I want to share with you a story about the first missionary in the gospel. I know you think you know who that is, many of you, but you don't. I want to share with you four friends that astonished Jesus with their faith. And I want to share with you the first evangelist. And you know who you think you know who that is, but you don't. So that's why I got to share all this with you to get you straightened out. Okay. Everybody good. So my message is simply this. I have three stories for you. Here's the first story and it's entitled the other side starts in Mark chapter four, verse 35, the day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Jesus has spent the day teaching and sharing parables. At the end of the day, he says to the disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. The Sea of Galilee is where they are. It's it's a lake, really. It's called the Sea of Galilee. Let's get in the boat and go to the other side. Now, you have to understand something. These disciples were used to going up and down the shoreline and not to the other side. When they would fish, they would fish the shoreline. They didn't go to the other side. Because on the other side is a place called Decapolis. It's there that there were ten pagan cities. And in Decapolis, it was called the Land of the Seven. Here's where it got its name from the Jewish people. It got its name from uh, when Joshua took the people into the promised land. The thinking was that some of the people in that promised land left and they were fleeing. And when they left, they went to Decapolis. And there they brought their seven foreign gods with them. So if you were a Jewish boy or Jewish girl, you didn't go to Decapolis. And when, and when you think about the disciples, you got to remember the majority of them when he first chose them were 16 to 18 years old. The oldest one was probably Simon Peter, who was 20 or 21, even had an eighth grader. Probably John was an eighth grader. Can you imagine your eighth grader being a disciple? Well, according to the Jewish history and tradition, 
At, at their 13th, they have a bar mitzvah, which they become men. They take on their own responsibility. And so here's Jesus with these young guys, and he says, hey, guys, we're going to the other side. Now, these guys don't say anything out loud, but inside they have an inner turmoil. They're thinking, we, we can't go over there. Mama said, don't, don't go over there. Mama said, we can't go over there. Jesus says, get in the boat. We're going over there. And then they get in the boat, and Jesus goes down and takes a nap. He goes to the bottom of the boat. He takes them out, and the disciples say, we've never been there. We've been told not to go there, and if Mama finds out, we're in trouble. So they get out on the lake, and here comes wind, which produces the waves, and here comes the rain, and it begins to storm, and the waves are beating against the boat, and, 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 it's, and it's getting to the place where these guys are thinking, we're going to die. We're disobeying Mama, and we're going to die, and they're scared. Here's why they're scared. Here's why fear is in them. In, back in the book of Genesis in chapter 1, the scripture says, In the beginning God's created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. In the Hebrew, that basically means it was chaotic. It was full of chaos. Darkness filled everywhere, and the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the water. So the Hebrews thought, was that the water was where all of the evil spirits live. Even Luke refers to this. Even some of the storylines of seeing a ghost on the Sea of Galilee. It's all of this stuff that they're thinking. And they're out there on this water with a storm, with the waves and the rain roaring, and they're freaking out. And somewhere in their minds, they're thinking, these, all these evil spirits in this water are coming up because we're not supposed to go there. They know where we're going, and, and we're in trouble. So somebody says, wake up Jesus. And I'm sure they're saying, I'm not going to wake up. You wake up. I'm not touching. I'm not going to. Somebody finally went down and woke Jesus up. And here's what he did. He walks up on the deck of the boat. And here's what he says. Peace be still. The wind stops. The rain stops. The waves stop. And the disciples are thinking, they have not said this. Who is this? Who is this that creation bows down to? And then Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, he looks at them and he says, why do you fear? Here's why they feared. Because what they had been taught from religion and tradition had put in them this thing of fear. And as Jesus says, hey, we're going over here, there's a fear and that's what's driving them. There's no faith that, hey, we have Jesus with us because they really don't know his true identity yet. And, and so he says, why do you lack faith? Well, here's what happens. The boat goes on. They get to the other side. They walk onto the shore. And guess what? They run into naked guy. Yeah, there's a naked man. That's the first person they see. Not only is he naked and dirty and has wounds and scars, but he has shackles on his wrists and chains around his ankles. And this guy is screaming like a madman. And so these strong 12 disciples look at each other and say, we're out of here. That's why mama said, don't come over here. We're gone. Okay, let's get in the boat and go home. This guy had been left. He lived, he hung out in the cemetery, the graveyard. They put shackles and chains on him multiple times, but he had broken them and then breaking them and tearing them off of his body. He cut his body, he has wounds all over his body. And here's this man, this man from Gadara that, that, that walked and he sees Jesus. And, and, and let me, let me say this for the religious people. Okay. If you read through the gospels, the, the ones who really understand who Jesus is, 
are the demons. So this guy looks at Jesus and he's filled with demons and he says, Jesus, son of God, don't torture me. Don't torture us. Verse 8, chapter 5. And Jesus said to them, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion. He replied, for we are many. What's your name? My name is Legion. So that means it's, there's either 3,000 or 6,000 demons going on in, in and out of this man's life. All of a sudden, I get the picture. These disciples are standing there. They're young teenagers. They're scared. They're ready to leave. Here's a crazy man naked with chains and blood and scars all over him. And Jesus just called, talked to this demon in him. And all of a sudden and random, there's this this dude, this random dude walking by. He's like a shepherd of pigs. And he's shepherding 3,000 pigs, two or 3,000 pigs. And the demons inside of this man said, "Let, let, let us go there. And Jesus releases them to go there. Those demons go in that, those pigs, and those pigs go wild and crazy and run off the cliff, drop into the water, and they drown and they die. And the random guy says, what's going on? Those are my pigs. What, what, what just happened? What just happened? And, and here's what he did. He, he ran into town. And he says, hey, look, look, hey, you guys, you do not understand what's going on. Naked guy, everybody knew him. Naked guy, he's having a conversation with a guy, and the guy's having a conversation with releases all those spirits in him, out of him, and they went into my pigs, and my pigs ran into the water and drowned, and nobody believed him. So what did they do? They went for themselves to check it out. Here's what happens when they get to that place. Verse 15, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. He's reversed, but now they're afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They show up. They see this man in his right mind. They knew him before in the shackles and the chains and his, and his crazy madness. And now he's dressed and in his right mind, and the people are afraid because something happened to him. What happened? He's transformed. He was out of his mind, but now he's in his right mind. And the people are saying, you... Jesus, not the man, you, Jesus, you must leave. You don't have to pay for the pigs. We're going to let that go. You must leave our region. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, watch what happens. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him go. He said, go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Go home to your own people and tell, that word means proclaim or explain the grace and the mercy Jesus had on you. So this man is telling Jesus, thank you. Here's what's just happened. I have inner peace. Probably for the first time in his life, I have inner peace. There's not turmoil. There's not demonic activity. There's not demons. There's not lying going on. I have inner peace. Can I go with you? And Jesus said, no, that would be too easy. That would be too safe. You don't need to spend three years with me and follow me around. Here's what I'm telling you to do. I'm telling you to go and proclaim all throughout the Decapolis, all ten cities with their seven pagan gods because you go proclaim what I did to you because they all know you. You have a reputation. 
Everybody knows the man from Gadara. Everybody knows you. You go tell them what I did and what's happened. I want you to go fully dressed in your right mind, and I want you to take a risk. And the amazing thing to me is when we find Jesus, or I should say when he finds us, we leave everything we once knew. And Jesus could have easily taken that man and said, hey, yeah, come go with me to Jerusalem. Yeah, come on, come spend some time with me. I've got 12, but one's a devil, and I can replace him, and I'll have to take a vote, and you'll be the guy, and, and, you know, come go with me. But he said, no, no. Here's what Jesus said. Get this picture. He's talking to this guy, and he says to the guy, the harvest is plentiful. The risk takers are few. And literally, he is the only one. He is the only believer going back into those 10 cities. He's the only guy going in. Nobody else. He is the only one. Go take a risk. Verse 20. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. And this is what's really cool. That's chapter 5. You fast forward to chapter 8, and here's what you see. You see Jesus coming back to Decapolis. And guess what? When he gets there, there are 4,000 people waiting on him. These people are spiritually hungry and physically hungry. And Jesus does a miracle and he feeds 4,000 people and then he shares the gospel with them. They're all there. They're hungry literally and they're hungry spiritually and they're all there because one man who was out of his mind that Jesus put back in his mind commissioned him to be the first missionary. And he took his story and used it. Some of you listening to me, you think, well, God can't use me. You, Pastor, you don't understand. You don't understand my past. Listen, if God can use a naked man out of his mind, running around in a graveyard with chains on his body, I think whatever you've done, he can use. <laughs> Hello. You, you, you can't use that one anymore, okay? Every one of you, you have a story, and your story matters to someone. All you need to do is to enter into those places where you were and out of your mind so they can see you in your right mind, your Christ mind, so that they will detect the inner peace that's in you wherever you worked, your family, your neighborhood. You go back in there as a believer now that you have inner peace because when you, listen, when you don't have inner peace, it's, it's obvious. People know it. They can see it. It's obvious. Your inside is in turmoil. There's no inner peace. But if you have inner peace, you go back with your story and you go into that place with inner peace and here's what's going to happen you're going to have conversations people are going to ask you why are you so calm now why have you changed why, why aren't you know why, why, why aren't you screaming anymore why, why aren't you wearing your shackles you know why, why you got clothes on now you know i mean they're going to ask questions the question is are you willing to take a risk here's my second story it's called four risky friends mark 2 verse 1 a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large number that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. So four friends bring a paralyzed man to Jesus. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered that mat that the man was lying on down through the roof. Now, Imagine these four men 
they have a friend who's paralyzed. We don't know how he was paralyzed. We don't know if he was born that way, if he got a sickness accident. We don't know what happened. But we do know that in the ancient east, if you were paralyzed, you were vulnerable. If you needed a blanket, you had to depend on somebody to give you a blanket. If you were hungry, you had to depend on somebody to feed you. You were in a very bad place. So he had, there are four friends, and one of them must have said, Hey, I heard Jesus is back. Why don't we take our friend to meet Jesus? Why, what could happen? I mean, they could have just said, Hey, we're going to go meet Jesus, and you stay here. We'll tell you what he said. Why don't we take him? So they come up with this plan to carry him to Jesus. They carry him to the house where he's teaching. The house is packed out with people. One of them says, hey, you know what? Let's take the stairs, go up to the roof. They're flat roofs. They're not gables or hips. They're flat roofs. Let's go up there and let's just begin to take the roof off with our hands or anything we can find. And so they do. They get on their roof. They begin to pull back the hay and the mud and the sticks. And and Jesus is inside teaching the word to people. And all of a sudden, dirt starts to fall on the top of people. And they look up, and there's this little guy going, hey. (laughs) And all of a sudden, they lower down this mat, and this little guy's there. He's just waving at everybody in the room. And Jesus, watch, he looks up at them, not him. He looks up at the four friends, Mark 2, 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. When he saw the risk they took, when he saw the determination, the urgency to get their friend to see Jesus, to be near Jesus, he looks at the man and says, your sins are forgiven. Now, I think Jesus is being a little provocative here because the room has a lot of religious people in it, religious leaders, scribes and Pharisees are there. In Mark, uh, in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 6, now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there and they're thinking to themselves, these are the intellectual religious people. Why does this fellow talk like that? Is he blaspheming? Who, who can forgive sins but God? So the religious leaders there, they begin to say things like this. Who, do you, who does he think he is? Can he forgive sins? Verse 9, Jesus says, hey, which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or say, get up and take your mat and walk? Which is easier? And they begin to think in their minds and muse, and, and Jesus has already healed the guy while they're doing all that. Verse 11, he looks at the guy, he says, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. The guy gets up, takes his mat, he walks out of the house, and everybody's in awe. But it all started because Jesus saw these four risk-taking friends and their faith, And these friends gave up their seat in that house. They could have been there front row and center, but they gave up their seat to get their friend to Jesus. There's something significant about a seat. Let let me tell you. Let me tell you a little story. My dad pastored 60 years. Back when I was 8 or 9, 10 years old, my dad pastored uh, in a a little town, and and it was was in a, a kind of a rural area, and he had a heart for children. And that's probably where I get my heart for children from my dad. And so what he would do is on Saturday, he'd go out to all these areas, and it was poor areas, dirt roads, and he'd go, and these parents would not go to church, and he'd go to these little kids, and he'd line them up, and then my dad would drive like a Volkswagen or a Fiat or something small. My mother would drive like an Impala. You know, in those days, you know, they're, they're, they're tanks, and you can get 400 people in them or something like that, you know. And so on Sunday, he would take the Impala, and he would go, and he would stack them in there like Corwood. He would take them to church to Sunday school. Some other people in the church saw that and said, that's a pretty good idea. So now you've got three or four or five families running around their cars bringing all these children to, to Sunday school because their parents would probably never take them there. 
And listen, they, they weren't perfect little children with sweet little clothes on. They're dirty and they stink. I had to wash the car on Monday. I mean, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't there, but my dad had a heart. After I got out of school, I worked for a bank. And after I got out of the bank, I, I felt led to do something else. And then I started serving at my dad's church as a children's pastor. And so this is in my heart. So what do I do? I said, well, let, let's get a bus. So we got a bus and we started filling it up with little children that were dirty and stinky. And then I said, let's get another bus and let's get a van. Let's get another van. And all of a sudden we've got buses and vans and we're bringing in hundreds of children on Sunday to hear, G, hear about Jesus. I mean, it, it was phenomenal what was going on. In fact, what? This is, this is something that happened. It literally happened. But after one big event on a weekend, uh, one of the vans, the key was accidentally left in it. So that Sunday afternoon, someone stole one of our vans. And, it, and they drove it to Milton, Florida, and it ran out of gas on the interstate, and they just parked it. They left us a note on the steering wheel and said, what do you people haul in this, pigs? Because it was so dirty and it stank of little children. I thought, man, that, that's a compliment. I, I, I like that, you know. We're going after it, you know, with the kids. 17 years ago, this month, started Bay Community Church. I bought a bus. I went to a part of Daphne that I call the unseen world. Loaded that bus up with little kids whose parents are drug addicts and parents have left them. But see, and every seat in that bus had a name related to a child. Every seat in my dad's car had a name related to that seat. Every, every one of those seats in that bus, it was that seat represented a child, and we would fill it up with kids. My dad would fill up the car, and then we started, and, and that's how we started this church. Well, see, it's wonderful to say, yeah, we need more parking lot. We do need more parking lot, but, and, and we park on grass, and we don't mind that. But, but, but listen, what would it be like? It's wonderful that the parking lot is full, but what if every car in the parking lot was full? What if you saw your seat in your car as a holy seat? What if while you're in this room, in the room you're in right now, Mobile and Foley, the seats that are around you that are empty, and you look at that and you think about a person and not an empty seat? What if you declared that seat as a holy seat, that there's somebody that you know that you're going to know, that you're going to meet, that you're going to reach out to, and you're going to invite them, and that seat's a holy seat because they're going to come in, and the worship's going to take place, which means the presence of God will come in. They'll hear the message and they will have the opportunity to become part of that 2.2 billion. Why? Because we took a risk. Because we take a risk. I mean, let, let, let me even just get a little closer to this. You guys that go to Icon, you middle school kids who don't have license yet and your mom has to take you, go ahead and look at those seats in those cars and start naming those seats filled up with kids and you bring kids on to icon and you guys that are seniors and you got cars and you, you go you go to those little guys in, in middle school and say hey come i'll take you to icon then i'll take you to taco bell and they'll think you're a hero you know because and so what what if we just became so conscious of a seat and who's sitting in that seat so, so listen to this statement and tell me if you believe this statement if people have the opportunity to meet jesus their life will be better do you believe that? Yes. I'm sorry, I did not hear you. Yes. Do you believe that? Mobile, Foley, do you believe that? If we believe that, let's take a risk. We're setting everything up for Christmas at all of our campuses for you to bring someone in that may not go to church. And we're going to let God do what God does best. 
But you've got you, you've to step out and bring them. You've got to take a risk. You've got to get them in your car or get them in a seat at the church. What do you have to do? Let, let me get to the third story. Uh, this is the third story. I call it the half-breed. It's in John 4, verse 4. Now, he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. No, he, he, he could have gone like every other Jew and gone around because Samaria is full of half-breeds. They didn't want anything to do with those people. But Jesus had to go there. Why? He had a divine appointment. Verse 5, so he came to the town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now his disciples had gone into town by food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman, and you're asking me for a drink? See, Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. They didn't even speak to them. A Jewish man would not even acknowledge a Samaritan woman. So here's Jesus. He's tired. Disciples go buy food. He sits by the well. The woman walks up. Jews and Samaritans don't talk. And then and, and the woman is, is, is getting, going to get water. And he says, hey, would you give me a drink of water? She steps back in awe. Well, you're not supposed to even talk to me. Why are you talking to me? Jesus said, hey, can I get a drink of water? Why did he press? Because this woman matters to Jesus. This woman matters to God. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so he uses the conversation, watch, of water, about water to get to what really matters. What really matters is her desires, what's inside of her, what she thirsts for, what's the emptiness there. Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water. She didn't get it yet. He begins a conversation to talk about the water. He gets to the point where he starts telling a little bit. He's got, this woman's got a story. And Jesus says, hey, uh, go get your husband. We'll talk and we'll talk to your husband. Uh, she said, no, I, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right, you don't. The guy you're living, the guy you're with right now, you're, you've had so many and now you're just living with this guy. How did you know that? You must be a prophet. And Jesus begins to hack into this woman's story. He begins to share with her about his God and his father. She still doesn't have an understanding about who he is. Verse 25, the woman said, oh, I know, she's been taught, that the Messiah, Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Now watch, this is very significant. Listen, this is the first time Jesus trusts someone on earth with his full identity. His disciples have it. They, they don't have the full identity yet. He's trusting his full identity with this woman who has a scandalous past. He's trusting his identity with this woman that society has rejected, with a woman that lives in shame and fear. And the disciples, they return, and they see him talking to the Samaritan woman. They think he's lost his mind. What's going on? She leaves, goes back in the town, and here's what she does. Watch. She's at the well at 12 o'clock because she doesn't want to see any of the women because they go early in the morning. She goes back home. She's not ashamed anymore. She goes through town, and she says, hey, listen, everybody, listen. I just met a man, and, and he, he has told me, he, he told me everything about me. He knows my story and my past, and he introduced me to living water. You got to come hear him speak. 
Verse 38, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony that he told me everything I ever did. Okay, I'm going. You said that, and I know you and your background. I'm going. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers, and they said to the woman, hey, we no no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know this man really is the Savior of the world. Listen, you have to love that story because, you see, it starts with a whisper. It starts with a willingness. I must go there. I, I, I will go to the other side. I will engage with those people. I, I, I will choose not to see labels. I will not be in fear. For I, I want what, des- what God desires. Because you see, friends, there are 5 billion people who don't know God. And you may say, well, most of them live over there. Yeah, but just about every other person you see during the week at school, at work, in the neighborhood... They're wrestling and they're doubting and they're exploring and many of them have completely turned God off. My question for you is, would you go to the other side? Oh, I don't want to go to that people group. Oh, I don't want to have anything to do with that group. You know, they've chosen their path. They've done this and I don't have anything to do with it. Would you see people who are out of their mind? Would you go to people who have no peace in their mind? Would you risk that God may use you to help them come to their right mind? You, you, you see, I, 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 I have to say it like this, that if there are people that you've worked around and, and you've come into a right mind, they, you, you need to go there to the other side. You need to risk revealing the peace that you have because they're all looking for peace. There is an emptiness and a void created in the image of God. They're looking for it. And if they see it on you, if they ask you, the conversations would come. Would you have a determination to see every seat in your church as holy ground? Would you look around the room you're in and look at the empty seats and think, that's holy ground. Someone could be sitting there. Would you have the determination to name those seats and that God would give you the boldness and the courage to actually invite them to come to church with you? That's what we're setting up for Christmas. We're giving you the opportunity. Would you risk not to see someone in their past not to label someone, not to see them as someone being controlled by fear. Would you please have the eyes and the ears of Jesus? Here's why. People matter to God. People matter to God. All people, he loves all people. Would you be willing to listen to God and be willing to risk for another? Because I said last weekend, we will not let people drown. We will rescue them because we have been rescued. Every seat matters, every story matters, every person matters. So, church, may we risk. The danger of having a society and a culture that we do that is so blessed to the extreme of being blessed and comfort is that we sit in that comfort and we forget that we are to be risk takers. We forget and we think that the system, the church, the building, the pastor, that we're the ones to take the risk. No, we are a risk-taking church, and we take risk in the natural, and we take risk in the spiritual. But what will ignite the church is when the church, the people, you, the church, when you start taking risk with other people and family members, when you start stepping out with that, you are going to see things change in your life, in your family, that you never dreamed could happen. 
Don't you give up just because they've lived this way. Don't you give up just because they're stubborn or hard-headed. Don't you give up because, well, they never have, never have, never have. You listen to me. God is greater than all of that, and what is inside of them is this aching, crying, itching peace that is empty, and the only thing that will fill it is Jesus Christ. And we have to take a risk on people to get them to Christ. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. But I'm going to give you an opportunity. But listen. Maybe you're in this situation. Pastor, I, I, I know people need to take a risk on I just need the boldness and the courage. I'm intimidated. They intimidate me. They know more about the Bible than I do. You go with grace and mercy, doesn't matter. Do you hear me? You go with true love and grace and mercy, I don't care what they know. (laughs) It's not about knowledge. It's about grace and mercy. It's about the love of God. Well, I got family members. I I need somebody to pray for me that I have the courage and the boldness and the the mindset and the the strategy of how to do this and that. Then we want to pray for you. Or maybe you're on the flip side of this. And maybe you're, you're, you're the guy that's in the graveyard. Maybe you're the one that there is no peace in your mind, but you've got it all together on the outside and you, 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 you put on your outside, but inside there is no peace and your mind is being tormented by every lie that the enemy can put in, that you're a failure and you can't do this and your family won't succeed and you're being tormented. Or maybe you're the guy who's paralyzed and what you're trying to do in life, you can't take steps forward and you've tried and you've failed. You've tried on your own crutches. You've tried in your own wheelchair, but you can't do it because you're paralyzed. Or maybe you're the person that you have a past that is so embarrassing and the enemy says, because of your past, nobody's going to listen to you. I'm telling you, if that's you, then you need to come for prayer because you need to be set free from all those mindsets. Why? What did Jesus do? He went to the other side. He went to the Decapolis. He wasn't afraid. He took a risk on one guy that runs around naked. He took a risk on a guy that's coming down out of the ceiling he, because of the faith of his friends. He took a risk on a woman that's been married four or five times living with a guy that the whole culture has turned against, and, and, and he takes a risk on her and breaks the protocol of culture and engages in a conversation with her. Why? To plant the grace and mercy of the love of God in her to get her thinking. So if the greatest risk taker of all will do those for those kind of people. And you're one of those kind of people in your spiritual realm. Hey, I got good news for you. He's here today and he wants to give you inner peace. He wants, he wants to heal your, your, your paralyzed state. He, he wants to get you out of your past. And if that's you, we want to pray for you. Now I'm going to ask you to stand, but don't leave the room. Foley Mobile, please stand. Please don't leave the room. Please don't be discourteous and leave the room. I want to pray over you, and a pastor is going to come and dismiss. Do this for me. Do this for me. Just kind of put your hands like this, like, like somebody's going to put something in your hands. And close your eyes. May the family of Bay Community Church know that your story matters and that there is a moment where you just have to declare, 
I will put my story on display. I will risk and I'm determined for my friends, coworkers, family members, those that are drowning, that I will be available to be used by God, that my story is available. My grace is expendable. So Lord, may we risk this week and bring honor to your name, Jesus Christ, Savior of the world. Amen.